From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a podcast host and interior designer about falling into stay-at-home motherhood and the process of going back to work, how she reacted to starting at square one, and the things she's learned from interviewing dozens of female entrepreneurs. I know Khani Erin Trow's voice better than I know her face. As the host of the Boss Madel podcast, she aims to create a community of female entrepreneurs who can support each other through the inevitable ups and downs that come with this territory. I sat down with her to discuss how where she was has led her to where she is today. I was the youngest of five, um, and there was quite a gap between my closest sibling and age. So I was actually closer in age to my nephews, um, although now I'm very close to my two sisters. But I was um, a child living amongst adults, really. So I loved to talk. I was very precocious. Um, I had a lot of confidence. And apparently I was a character. My grandfather used to call me the mouth because <laughs> I loved to talk. <laughs> I love that. He did it in a very kind way. I mean, he was wonderful. But that pretty much summed me up. That's that's awesome. When you like you grew up among adults, so did you kind of feel a little bit like an only child being so much younger than everyone else? Absolutely, because by the age of six, my siblings had all moved out either for seminary, yeshiva, uh, one was married. So for years, I was pretty much an only child. And when we go visit my nieces and nephews, that kind of felt to me somewhat like, you know, playing with siblings, although right. they were younger. But yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense to me. When you like were in school and all of that, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up? So, you know, I always say I came out of the womb loving anything design related. Um, I had two grandmothers who were extraordinarily fashionable. They were great dressers. They had beautiful homes. Um, My grandfather was in entertainment business and my other grandfather was in textiles. So um, I was really exposed to a lot of that. Uh, My mother is not like that at all. She always says, oh my goodness, like, you know, as a daughter, you are so different from me. But she was very supportive. Um, She let me paint my room bright red. Um, I would go vintage shopping. I love fashion magazines. So I always knew it would be something creative. Okay. And what what creative thing did it end up being? So when I moved to New York, I uh, got a job in a showroom in Soho. Back when Soho was still kind of very unique neighborhood with these little mom and pop shops. It was it's still a kind store- of like that. But yes, like yes. now it's much more commercialized. You used to need to be a registered artist to buy anything in Soho. And, Correct. and that was when it was like, I mean, that's also like when Times Square, you couldn't walk around there at night. So maybe we shouldn't hearken back to those times. <laughs> True, true. Yeah, Soho's a fun place to be. Yeah, so I was kind of in that transition where it was becoming more commercialized, uh, but it still had that small neighborhood vibe where we knew a lot of the people and vendors. And um, and I started in a showroom that did uh, linen. So there was a huge wholesale company that kind of then had this little shop where they would push some of their linen. And also the owner was from Morocco, and he would import a lot of uh, goods from Morocco, lamps and rugs. This was before the whole ethnic craze hit homeware market. Um, I spoke French. So that's kind of why I got the job. That's cool. And why do you speak French? I'm from Montreal. Oh, okay. That'll do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I went to FIT at night. I did part-time and I studied uh, home product development and interior design. Cool. And then I'm assuming afterwards you became an interior designer. 
So yeah, so after my first job in sew, which was super fun, but I made all of maybe $7 an hour. Welcome, uh, welcome <laughs> to New York, everybody. <laughs> right? Especially in those days. I moved on to another showroom in Borough Park. That was quite a transition. That was very upscale uh, linens, mostly from Italy, where I would work with designers and custom make them. And I did that for about two years. And then I got pregnant with my first. I had a really difficult pregnancy. I had to stop working. And then I essentially took off for a couple of years. Uh, we moved from New York to Miami, then to LA. There was a lot of change. I had my second son. And then one day I woke up and I said, I love my children, but I cannot be a stay-at-home mom anymore. Or I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I, I hear that. What was, the, what was the transition when you realized that, you know, you have your first child and you leave work? Was that a decision that, like, did it, did that decision feel right to you at the time? Or was it something that kind of just you fell into with after your difficult pregnancy? So, you know, I had a difficult pregnancy and then my son had severe um, food allergies and had a lot of health issues that first, the first year of his life until we figured out what was going on. So there really wasn't any, you know, for me, I didn't have any doubt as to what I was doing. It was very clear that I had to be home with him and figure out what was going on. In a sense, I was grateful that I didn't have to work. I don't know how I could possibly do all those appointments and see specialists and figure it out uh, with working. So, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to working moms with newborn babies because it is really, really difficult. So I was right. actually really happy to be home. Uh, but, and then for a couple of years, I really was happy to kind of take that break. I think the turning point for me was when my second was getting a little older, um, not that much older, he was maybe two, but I was sleeping through the night. I was able to get out of that survival mode and tell myself, okay, you know what? It's time to get back into something that I truly enjoy. Right. It was it was starting to feel a, you weren't as needed anymore. You know, the health issues were resolved. Things were kind of settled. Um, and then it was like, OK, what am I doing for myself and and to get things going? So when you did decide to go back to work, did you immediately go back to showrooms and linen or did you do something completely different? OK, so that's that's a great question. Also, what at this happened? point, I'm curious, where, do, where are you living at this point? Are you so in now, New York, Miami? Now I'm in Los Angeles. Now you're in LA, which is where you yes. live right now. Correct. Okay, so we've 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 made all of the moves. We've covered yes. all of the states. A lot of countries. changes in my personal life. Right. Now two countries, kinda... three states. Now you're in LA. Your second son is two years old. You're ready to go back to work. What do you do? Okay, so at that point, my friend was working with a designer who didn't have time to help her with some of the smaller components of her design project, such as accessories or paint colors. Well, actually, she was good with paint colors, but you know, pillows, frames, how to style things. She asked if I could help her, and I did. And the designer saw my work and said, oh, she's got some talent. So what I actually ended up doing was I went back to intern for her. So not paid. This was very humbling at 27 years old to pay a housekeeper to watch my children while I went to intern for a designer. This designer also got me an internship at the Design Center in L.A., unpaid as well. I fetched coffee, folded fabrics. And the reason I did that was because my background had been in showroom sales, but I didn't have a lot of experience with hands-on design. I also didn't know the design scene in LA and I'd been out of it for a while. So I always tell people there's no shame in getting back in the game and starting from the beginning. It's okay. I made a lot of great contacts that way. But it, there definitely were some difficult days. You know, the day my kid would have strep and I have to call in and can't make it or, or quickly run in and a 22-year-old would be telling me how to fold the fabrics. And I'm like, oh my goodness, girl, you don't even know what life is really about. Wait, just wait. But I don't regret it. I learned a lot. So I did that for about two years and then I opened my own design business. 
Okay, so this is the part that that I want to talk about. Okay. Tell me. Okay, so I, as you know, also have a fashion line. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that I started from scratch. And that involves product. You know, I make dresses. I sell them. You sell services. You know, it's how how do you go about you're essentially selling your own expertise. So how do you how did you go about establishing a client base and and just and just putting yourself out there in a way so that people could could hire you? So I started from the very bottom, which was I took the jobs that didn't pay a lot. Someone wanted things done cheap, fast, quick, but looking good, which a lot of designers would say, "Uh, uh-uh, no way. I- One of my favorite things is um, fast, good and cheap. Pick two. Yes. You don't get all three. <laughs> Correct. If you want it to be fast and good, it's going to be expensive. If you want it to be good and cheap, it's going to take a long time. If you wanted it, if you want it to be fast and cheap, it's not going to be good. Like those are, it's just the way the world works. Absolutely. So clearly I didn't really think of that in the beginning. And so I really took anything and I really hustled and it was difficult. Um, but slowly what happened was I would do a project and the person was happy and I'd get some pictures and then I would be able to show that to someone. And I put the word out through friends and then I would do one person's house and they're doing their neighbors and their neighbors. So it was kind of word of mouth. What I will say though is I'm a great creative. I, I, I mean, without bragging, I really visually, I get it. I'm not a great businesswoman. And the part that I didn't learn in FIT was how to successfully run a business and how to charge for services, which can be really tricky for women. Since we're always doubting ourselves anyway, and a lot of us have imposter syndrome, it can be really scary to say, okay, I'm charging you A, B, and C for services. And especially because it was things that came so easy to me. Meaning for me to choose a paint color, I could do it in my sleep. So in my mind, I'm like, how can I charge someone this amount of money when it's, it's no biggie? So when you start to think like that, that could be very detrimental to a business. So what are some things that you think you could have done differently to establish yourself as a better businesswoman? Like if you were talking to yourself when you're first starting this, that business, what are, let's say, two things that you would tell yourself? Okay. We could title this episode, What Not to Do When You Start a Business. I like it. <laughs> Well, this is, this is quite humbling, but I really want to share my story. And, you know, that's really why I started the podcast is to help other women. So I think the first point would be really understand um, all the components that go into business and how to charge properly. When you are charging for a service, you cannot only charge for FaceTime. That's impossible. You will not make money. There's driving, there's gas, there's emails, there's purchase order forms. What happens when a lamp comes in broken and you're on the phone with customer service for an hour? Are you charging for that? Because if you're not, you will not make enough money. So I think that's the first um, bit of advice. I think the second is, you know, I'm a type of person where I'm really eager to please. And I really want people to be happy. And there were times I intuitively knew that someone was making a wrong decision Um, or that they should trust me a little more and we should go a different route. And I didn't push enough for that, or I wasn't forceful in in explaining that. And so we lost a lot of time and money for me trying to make someone happy. And then them realizing, oh, maybe I don't want, you know, a pink velvet sofa, or, you know, maybe this really isn't kid-friendly. So I think it's okay for women to be confident. We're often afraid of being perceived as, you know, too forceful, too bossy, too pushy, whereas men, by the way, don't have that issue. For right. some well, also reason. men don't have the same consequences for it. Correct. But I can do the same exact, I can say the same exact, 
exact thing in the same exact manner. Um, you know, something something like, I really need this done by the end of the day. And on me, they'll turn around and they'll say, mm, Rifki's a little pushy. And if my husband would say the same exact thing to the vendors that he deals with, it's, well, Jonathan needs this done by the end of the day. We better get on it. And it's just a reality of how people... Um, of, of how women are perceived sometimes in business. And what I find, by the way, um, um, and I just spoke about this actually on last week's episode with Michelle Moses, I find that the antidote to that, for me at least, I go out of my way to be super nice. I am the biggest rate. I don't care if I'm having the worst day ever. Whenever I'm dealing with someone, particularly if it's someone in business, I am the biggest ray of sunshine in the room. Hi, how are you? What are you? How? What's going on with the kids? I'm so glad to see you again. I'm always. I get people to love me, and then when I need something done by the end of the day, it's done because yes. because people are willing to work for the people they like. So yeah, you're 100% right that women worry about this more because there are more consequences and as a result of us worrying about it more and not being as forceful as it with it as we can, there are more consequences and it's this really it's like this chicken and egg problem that you know gets, Correct. You really have itself. to exude that confidence and really stand in your space. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah, no, it's it's so so true. Um, so and you mentioned offhand quickly the podcast, which mm-hmm. uh, is how we connected. It's how it's how we found each other. Uh, you are the host of the Boss Madel podcast. So Correct. what is it? What's it about? Tell me more. Okay, so what happened was I was about I don't know four no five years into my design business, um, I was working you know really strange hours uh, because I'd, I'd get emails late at night and run Sunday downtown and I, I didn't really have proper like work-life balance. I was burnt out and depleted. I wasn't making as much money as I wanted to, you know, versus the, out, the, the amount of effort that I was putting into my business, I thought I'd be making more. And I just thought I can't be the only woman out there who is struggling to keep up a business, struggling to keep up the carpal schedule, making Shabbos every week, struggling to be a present wife and mother, I'm overwhelmed. There are a lot of great podcasts out there, but living a Jewish Orthodox lifestyle, we do have certain demands, a lot more time consuming, and we're dealing with various components that can make things a little more complicated. Often we, are, we become mothers at a very young age, we have small children, uh, we have community events. So I really couldn't find anything that could help me or direct me based on what I was experiencing. And that's really why I started. I wanted to get other women's takes on how did we do it? And how long ago did you start the podcast? I started about a little over a year ago. Yeah. And yes. That sounds about right. Just based on my own listening patterns. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah. So, and of the the interviews that you've done and from the people that, that you've spoken to, uh, you mainly speak with, you know, a Orthodox Jewish entrepreneurs and how they handle their life and, and all of that. Um, what is something that you find is like a, a, a unifying factor? Like if there's something that comes up again and again, that it's like, well, this, it must have wit, you know, grit to it because so many people are mentioning it. Um, what's something that, that you find to be common among the people who you interview? So by far, I see two, uh, you know, unique points that these, all these women kind of have or cultivate. One of them is faith. Regardless of how religious they are, their affiliation, many of them will all say that faith is, is a cornerstone, cornerstone sorry, in their success or you know, a key uh, component in their success. Another idea is that the ability to show oneself compassion during difficult times, because as women, we will face many failures. We will have embarrassing moments. We will send the wrong email to the wrong person. 
side note, I actually did send accidentally a Google calendar it included like my wax schedule to some really big Jewish personality. Okay. <laughs> it was. That's and, and when I interviewed an entrepreneur the next day, she laughed it off and said, don't worry, I would probably do the same thing. I and have just done hearing- similar things for the mm-hmm. record. I've, you know, like I, my business sends out emails and I can't tell you how many, um, I launched a dress called the hug dress. Um, uh, oh man. And in the subject line of the launch email, there was a typo and it said the huge dress <laughs> and it went out and it went out like that. And I saw it in my, and I was like, did this, did this go out to my entire, like my brain stopped for a second. And I was like, yep, you just sent that out to your entire list. And it had one of the highest open rates of any email I've ever sent out. So that is amazing. Go figure. Yes. Yeah, we all have those moments. Oh, yes. And I truly feel like success is really made up. It's not made up on the, about the, like, it's not regarding those days where we're killing and everything is amazing. And we're like, yay, I'm, I'm just doing it all. It's made up of those tiny moments when we're really in the trenches, where we've made a mistake, where we've had an embarrassing situation. And it's how we react to those situations. Do we get stay stuck? Or do we give ourselves that grace and compassion and rise up and start again? And I think those are those little steps over and over of doing that. That's what can really build success. Yeah, true success. I, I couldn't agree more. Also, it's a lot more fun. If you're like me and you work with yourself most of the time, it's a lot easier to work. It's a lot easier if you like the people you work with. And if the only person you work with is yourself, then it's a lot easier if if you're comfortable with yourself because you're going to be spending a lot of time alone. And if you don't like your own company, then it'll make it that much harder for sure. Totally. Yeah. What um What is something that you think most women do to cultivate that feeling, like to give themselves that compassion? Um, what have you seen from your interviews that are some strategies that people use? I think a lot of these women are not afraid of reaching out to other women, of starting those conversations, of, of forming some kind of community or support, which is why I really started the podcast as an online community of support. But once you start to hear that these situations are so common, in fact, they're inevitable, and most women will have them, you're not the only one. And like you said, when you're in your own little office at home and you make a mistake, there's no one else to... to to you know, pat you on the back and say, that's okay, honey, you're fine, we've all been there. So you really have to seek out other women in your field or women in business, or if you're not in business, there's something else you wanna pursue to seek out other women and to really form a sense of community. I think that's really important. And another thing that I've, I've noticed with these women is they're pretty careful about a form of self-care, whatever that means. When your cup is full, full you are so much less likely to lose it. Because, you know, whether that means prayer, whether that means exercise, time for rest, then you have, you have more within you to then battle whatever it is that you're, you know, you're battling. And it's really, really important. So your self-care is not only just to be happy and smiling, it, it really is another key to success. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What is your go-to self-care? I, so for years, I hated exercise. I've tried going into gyms. I was like, oh God. But I, and I, I really experimented with quite a few places and there were a lot of, you know, hits and misses, but I found this great yoga studio and this great Pilates studio. And I tried to do that about four times a week. Um, I love the idea of just connecting with breath. I'm a very energetic person. 
my brain doesn't stop. I really do not need to run on a treadmill. Like I'm energetic enough. What I need to do is slow down. Yeah. <laughs> so Taking that's that really so, helpful. Yes. Yeah. That, that's actually great. And what's also great about that is if you're not in either, if your neighborhood doesn't have a great yoga studio or if uh, you can't afford one right now, there are so many like YouTube videos that you can follow and do it from, uh, from home totally for free and just take take a minute to do that deep breathing yoga is not my thing so much I get bored I don't know how to I don't know how to turn off the racket that's going on in my head and I'm like why am I sitting here I no, it's not working for me I walk I that's will, right like get outside and I'll just do a lap or two around the block and I try to do that I try to go for a walk every day and that and that also just that's when I can do my best thinking and it's when all the voices in my head kind of talk to each other as opposed to yelling at each other if that makes That's sense. great. No, no, they say walking outside, getting fresh air, sunshine is huge. It's huge for helping with anxiety, with focus, with sleep. So it's it's great. And I just want to clarify something that I noticed with talking to many women. Our idea of self-care can sometimes be a little confusing because there's maintenance. For example, I do my nails every week because if I don't, I will literally shred them. That's that hour is not super relaxing for me. I don't come back thinking, oh my God, I'm so like, I feel so rejuvenated. No, that's just maintenance. Going to yoga, on the other hand, I come back and I'm like, wow, I can take on the day. So, you know, women have to be careful about what does self-care really mean for them, not what society is telling you is self-care. Someone might hate taking a bubble bath. Someone might love taking a bubble bath. Someone might love connecting with people. Someone just wants quiet. So really getting honest about what it is that fills your cup. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And also it's, that applies to a lot of things, but also taking a minute, if you're doing something and you're like, I don't want to be doing this right now. This is awful. Like ugh, yoga is so boring. Then stop. Then just, exactly. then just move on and, and stop. I'm curious how the Boss Madel podcast kind of fit in with your design like business I, I i mean feel free not to answer this question because it is incredibly rude and my mother no, would be no, very no. embarrassed about from me but do you make money from the podcast okay so here's the funny part i started the podcast and i had all three listeners my sisters and my mother and i was still doing design business and somehow the podcast really took off i had over four thousand downloads last month um, i have people reaching out to me to speak on it it got large enough that I've had to take a break with the design business. And the goal is to monetize on it. I'm starting to do that and I reach out to companies now that I have certain numbers and a consistent schedule. And I have some other plans on maybe how to kind of create a larger platform for women to connect. So that's kind of in the work. So I can't speak about all of it yet, but I'm definitely leading that direction. Essentially, I can't do both right now. So I've put the design business on hold, which I think, you know, when you, when you, hear that phrase, everything's meant to be, or there's this idea in Judaism, which is things happen for a reason. I truly believe that, you know, I started this podcast on a whim because I was frustrated one day, but somehow the success of it has, you know, led me to believe that this is my path right now, helping women because I had so many mistakes and stress and real learning experience with my business. I really want to help other women. So for now, the design business is on hold. We'll see where that goes. And I'm really trying to dive into the whole podcast world. So yeah, the thing about a design business is that mm -hmm. again, you're selling your own time, essentially. You're selling your time and your services and your expertise. So it's not like you have inventory that you need to deal with or anything like that. You just, you stop when you want to and you pick it up when you want to. So it's, you actually have a, a lot of freedom Correct. In, that, in that way to, you know, to take, to really take it where, wherever, wherever you want to take it. If, 
if you like so it's it's actually I didn't even realize that I'm talking to you at this time when it's there's so much moving around and transition now, like, yes like my business plan brain is is kicking into gear now for a second um but as you like going forward are you go do you want to publish more episodes of the podcast you you know do you want to do it more frequently do you want to like talk talk like brain dump on me tell okay. me what's flying through your head because I I love the idea of people getting to see um how something comes together before it's fully baked because things are half baked for a lot longer than they're fully baked you know Correct. they need to process and get put together so talk me through what's in your head sure so I mean first off there is definitely this fear of what am I doing am I leading a business that that has been working for me up to point and and trying something new and scary however even with design you have to be really focused I mean you make one wrong mistake that's a thirty thousand dollar mistake and I've always told my clients when I'm available I am a hundred percent available at this point, my mind is so in podcast mode that I don't think it's really fair for a lot of them for me to be in their house making huge decisions when I'm just, you know, in, in my podcast zone. And it's been hard because I have some great clients and I'm wrapping up a couple of projects. But it's, it's, at this point, it's not forever. It's just a pause. With a podcast, I think, first of all, it's important for women to realize that that's okay. You can pivot or you can change courses in your career. Nothing, it's not the end of the world. In fact, many women do it more than more so than we think. There's actually podcasts dedicated just to that out there. Um, there's a great one by, I think it's called Who, What, Where, about all these women who started in one career and then transitioned to another. Um, so with the podcast, I'd love to be more consistent. I'd love to have a better website with more online content, online community, more collaborations with uh, companies that want to advertise with my clientele. And all that is a lot of work. Yeah. So me realizing that, okay, if I'm really going to, take this to the next level. I have to really be invested and really have the time. And so that's where I'm at now, trying to create a new website, new content, um, so maybe some courses. So really getting into that mode. Yeah, no, that's that's a huge undertaking. And you mentioned trying something new or pivoting. Um, I It's funny because my mom actually went back to school in her late 40s uh, to get her master's degree. It was at the same time that I was in school getting my undergrad and I hated school. And she was like, she was like, I don't want to tell you this, but I'm going back to school and, and now you're going to yell at me. And I was like, no, I hate school for me, but I think it's awesome for you. Um, and, and it was this whole other transition that she made. And what I'm curious for you is that, you know, when you're trying something new, when you're, when you're taking this leap to, to pivot completely and move away from something that you know into something that you maybe don't know quite as well, even though you have been doing it for a year, what are some things that you do either to make that transition easier or to ease yourself into it? Like, what, what do you do to stop the panic of, oh my God, what am I doing? So it's interesting. I actually just had this conversation with a therapist, with my therapist. I see a great therapist and we're talking about my design business. And I, I told her that I had actually learned so much from it and I had learned what to do and what not to do and, and how you know, certain things that don't come naturally to me, the organizational skills, the business side, the details, the scheduling. With a podcast, there's a lot of editing, there's a lot of show notes. You have to really sit down and focus and do it. It's not all creative, but I had kind of worked on that muscle a little bit over the years. And so taking that into the podcast is super helpful, knowing that I'm not starting from scratch, that I have these skills that I built up that five years ago were so difficult for me. And they were difficult for many creative women out there. Uh, so learning, learning that was hugely important. Um, I mentioned before this podcast, but listening to stories of other women who have, you know, started other journeys. Uh, I, I've loved Jenna Lyons for years. She was the uh, creative director and president of J. Crew 
And I thought like she had it made. That was it. And then she left J. Crew, and she essentially said like the calls weren't coming. Like nobody was calling her to try something new or do something new. And she had to really recreate her career after so many years. So hearing stories like that over and over, it it led me to believe that this is so common. In fact, for many women, it's essential. It's part of their whole process and journey. So I'd say that's very important. And I think, you know, lastly, and this is really hard for me, but it's just being really kind to myself because it's me learning something new. When I first started the podcast, I used a different recording device and I remember freezing on a really important guest and I wasted an hour of her time and I was in tears because it was like starting from scratch again. And learning to say, that's okay. And I actually interviewed another entrepreneur who had opened a retail business. And she said, honey, learning how to do the QuickBooks on retail, it was so humbling. Here I was, I'd killed it in design. So women have to know that you will have days where it is so humbling to learn something from scratch. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. It's, and also recognizing that, you know, something, let's say like, like QuickBooks, it's not, you know, you, it's not, you're not stupid. You know, it's not, it's just something that you've never done before. That is literally, there are people whose job that it is to know how to use QuickBooks. They're called accountants. And thank God I happen to be married to one so that he (laughs) takes care of all of that. But it's, it's right. It's giving yourself that grace to be bad at something. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is be brave enough to suck at something today. Yes. Yes. It's so true. It takes such bravery to dive into something new and have it, you know, and have it, you know, take and not take, maybe, yes, it's, it's, it's a whole journey in and of itself. I'm I'm curious what your favorite interview that you've done so far has been. Oh, wow. You know, I wish I could choose one. I don't have one. I will say this. I get off every interview. My husband says I'm literally glowing. There is something about the connection with women even if it's someone I've never met before, but when you start asking some pretty deep questions, you get personal really fast. And, you know, I could be in LA, someone could be in New York, but you start asking someone about a low point in their life, boom, you've just connected. So that to me was amazing that we could be doing this over Zoom, two different places, and yet we could be connecting in a way that I would never expect. I also just want to mention one point going back to, you know, the idea of how someone can start, you know, work through a new business or a new phase or opportunity with a fear. When I started the podcast, I had the good kind of fear. And yes, it was still fear. And yes, my heart was like pounding when I interviewed my first guest and probably my second and third, but it was the good kind. Whereas in the past, there were some projects I would like pull up every time in my car and just feel that dread knowing that I was working with, let's say, a contractor who wasn't going to pull through or just feeling intuitively that something was not right. And I think women really have to learn how to trust their gut. Yeah, it's it's also I think there's there are times when you feel, you know, I'm excited, but I'm nervous, but I'm freaking out, but but it's, but it's really happy, but I'm happy this is happening, but you know, and there's all those things can mix together and it becomes just one big emotional soup that can sometimes be hard to sift through, (laughs) but, but it is, it is important to recognize at your, at your, like at your, in your gut, do you feel that this is right? Do you feel that this is, um, that this is something that'll help you or are you freaking out because, because this is the wrong thing because someone is, is, you know, is telling you something is telling you that, that, that something here is not right and doesn't match up. And that's, 
that's really that's really important. Also, just trust your gut in general. That oh yes, that is is very helpful. I'm curious also um, on your end, what have you found to be the I don't want to say the, like the most enlightening, but if you know you you mentioned the things that all of your that all of your guests have in common that a lot of them pull off of faith and that they give themselves this compassion. But are there any common challenges that your guests have have come across? I think there's this myth out there that some women have been handed opportunities on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. I think that if someone has reached a certain level of success, they are working really hard, regardless of whether they had an in or not, or they had an opportunity or not. There is the nine to five grind and really, you know, reaching for new opportunities, getting out of their comfort levels that all, I think a lot of these women have. And it's easy for us to look at someone and say, well, you know, her husband had this business or she was able to come in, not necessarily. And even if that's the case, women still have to put in that consistent work. And I think with social media, it can be great, but we often see women like happily typing on her laptop and there's a huge coffee mug and there's roses in the corner and just looks so fun. And there are parts of, you know, our jobs that are very fun. And then there's the hard work that goes into it as well. So really not discounting that. Right. I'm glad that you brought up social media because I think that's a big part of what fuels this myth that once you've reached a certain level of success, you just get to come into work every day and have your minions do things for you and, exactly. and you know, just run your life. And maybe that does exist on some level. I certainly haven't gotten there yet. Um, I certainly don't know what that's like. And I haven't met anyone yet who does <laughs> at any level of, of success. Um, what What is your experience with, with social media been like? And how, how do you think that it's helped or hurt um, yourself or your guests in how you use it? So my social media has actually really helped me connect with many people. In fact, a lot of the guests I reach out to, it's done through Instagram. It's and just, I should mention also that I reached out to you through Instagram. Yes. So yeah, it's, there it's, is positive it's, there. It's a more informal way. And I think for a woman who's getting thousands of emails, you know, a week, it's one less email that she goes, oh goodness, I have to open this. Whereas Instagram, she's, you know, perusing through fun photos and then this message pops up. It's, it's a little more informal. And I've really been able to market my uh, podcast with Instagram. Interestingly enough, a lot of my listeners are not on Instagram though. And that's something I've, I've realized. So how um, did you figure that out? I would get a lot of uh, private messages and emails. Hey, I love your podcast, but I'm not on Instagram. So I couldn't reach out to you. So that, that was interesting. Do you have any idea how those people found you? Actually don't. I think a lot of it is word of mouth. You know, I met someone in the grocery store. Oh, my friend told me and then someone else, my cousin told me. So that's probably what it is. But I also think with social media is I struggled because, you know, I came from a background of interior design, which is very paru, very neutral. You know, we didn't talk about deep topics. I wasn't posting pictures of myself in clothing. There's no religion or politics in interior design. It's a pretty couch and it's a really pretty couch with a pretty painting behind it. Exactly. So I struggled with this podcast on what to show, what not to show. Um, My husband does not want to be, you know, really in my feet at all. And neither does my older son. That's tricky because I post quite a bit of my younger son, which makes it look like I have a favorite thing going on, which is not the case. I'm actually impressed that my 11 year old is like, this is not for me and I don't want to do it. Good for him. Yes. So it, there definitely is a struggle of how much do I put out? How much do I share? One, I remember one day actually oversharing and I took it down. I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't coming from a confident place. It was more of like, I was, you know, feeling tired and frustrated and run down and I maybe wanted validation. I don't think you should ever turn to social media for that. 
So it's been a learning process. What was it about? I'm not going to ask you what that thing Mm -hmm. you overshared was, obviously. Um, But I'm curious, what was it, you know, what was it that made you realize this needs to come down? My emotional state at that time. If what I really probably needed was self-care. I probably need to call my sister or my mother or go for a walk or give myself a break. You cannot reach out to strangers and always expect to receive positive feedback. Although I have been lucky. I've, I've really not received a lot of negative feedback, but there's always that risk. You have to be really careful with that. If you're in a good place and you could take it, that's great. If you're having a rough day, a rough week, or there's a particularly vulnerable topic, You have to be really careful of what you put out. On the other side, when you do put out things that you feel confident, there's great opportunity for connection and conversation. So it's just really being aware of where you are, where you're at, what you're willing to put out, not because so-and-so is putting it out so you feel the pressure, but what do you truly feel good about putting out and then going from there. Yeah, something that Gitty Berger mentioned when she was on the show was um, her rule is, is is the thing that I'm going to be speaking about, is it a wound or is it a scar? Is it something that I'm dealing with right now that is open and festering and is too raw and I have not yet fully processed and I don't even know what the takeaway from here is? Or is it something that is in my past that will benefit others by sharing and be helpful that I've healed from. For me, it's a scar. For someone else, it might be a wound, but I need to, you know, let let me be helpful in putting this out there. And I think that's a line that I think about a lot, actually, because um, there is, I think, a pressure. You know, everyone wants to be authentic, right? Which yes. is like the, which is so sad that such a lovely word has become so empty and marketing jargon and uh, it like, it makes me want to roll my eyes right now. Um, but I think that in the pressure to become authentic you kind of feel to you know now then everyone's life becomes a reality show let me tell you every single thing that went wrong and what this because i'm being so real you're like no now you're just being annoying you're not being real you're just being annoying and you're telling me every single annoying thing that happens in your day today that's not something that i relate to personally and i think that there's still what to be said for you know keeping some things keeping some things to yourself. And if, and like you said, if your husband and your oldest son don't want to be there, then they're not there. I think it's kind of hysterical that people would think that your younger son is your favorite though. That, oh, I that know. I that's, really like. that's, that's totally my, you know, my crazy thoughts going there. Of course, <laughs> no one thinks that that's just me, but I mean, he also but they might me- think that. And if they do, I kind of, I kind <laughs> of like that because it just goes to show that you don't really know what anyone else is thinking. Like you don't really know what's going on in anyone else's head and he loves to pose i mean he loves it he's like please (laughs) take photos of me and the other one is running in the opposite direction so fast um (laughs) that's awesome yeah it's also funny because um we mentioned this idea of what kind of emotional state you're in when you share but i think it's also important to know what kind of emotional state you're in when you take in social media very often sundays which is which quite often are my most difficult days i don't really go on instagram because what my house looks like, there's laundry everywhere. I'm cleaning up from Shabbos, Shabbat. And um, I'm running errands and I'm taking my kids to batting cages and this play date's coming over and I'm tired and cranky. I've probably gone to bed too late the night before. So looking on someone's feed and seeing picture-perfect pancakes or the perfect day at the park will totally set me off. So I really try not to go on Sundays. Good for you. Yeah. No, really good. That <laughs> takes... No, I, I think that there's a, a really high level of self-awareness there. Being like... Yeah, this, no, I don't want to, this sets me off. This doesn't, 
you know, this this doesn't work for me right now. This is making me feel really icky and I'm just going to cut that out of my life. And there's there's what to be said for that. I actually just had someone happen happen this past week. Someone messaged me about something that they saw um, on social media. And um, it was something involving a person who I had contracted with, um, who I had sent product to. Um, and a friend of mine had seen the, the sponsored post and something bothered her about it. And she asked me, you know, did, was, was that a sponsored post? Was that something that you were, did you sanction this thing that bothered her? I told her, I said, no, I didn't. Um, I said, that was the choice that that blogger decided to make. And and she and I said and I said to her and I know why it's bothering you because I know certain things that are going on in this friend's life and I I said to her I was like no you're just having a rough week and this is setting you off right now and she and she said yeah you're right I really am and I said no problem don't worry about it it's fine um and and I told her I'm glad that you said this to me that you took it out on me and not someone else because I know what's going on in her life and I know what's bothering her and and I'm in a position to say you just need to take a break right now. And she and someone else might not be. And it's important to recognize when you need that, when you need that time, when you need to, to not be part of the circus that, that all of this can become. True. So true. And I think also, um, because we see things curated so heavily on Instagram, even the real Insta stories are still, you know, curated up to a point. And then we have real life, which can be very messy at times we need to take a break from what we see on social media or even Pinterest because it's not always, it, it doesn't always do us a service. And I'll give you an example. I, I was watching some old reruns of an old cooking show from the nineties where the chef like shows us her freezer and it's, it's like a disaster zone, that freezer. And she pulls out frozen little Ziploc bags. And I'm thinking no chef in their right mind would do that in this day and age. No one, they would have a picture perfect kitchen. They would have manicured hands, but in a way that was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was, it was refreshing. That, that was, that's how we all lived. That was life. Nothing was heavily filtered or made up. So it's really important for us to remember that we can see beautiful images. We can be inspired. We can connect. And yet there's also real life, which can be messy at times. And that's totally fine. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> life can be messy and that's totally <laughs> fine. That needs to be on a cat poster immediately. Right yes. now, somebody go do that. <laughs> This has been this has been a really great conversation. This has been a really great uh, I love talking to other people who like to talk as much as I do. So that has just been really fun. If somebody wants to learn more about you, Hani, and the Boss Middle podcast, where can they go to find that out? Okay, so I'm really active on Instagram. You can head over to Boss Middle. I, you know, try to answer every message. I do a lot of questions on my Insta stories, more like conversation starters. Uh, so feel free to join in there. And my Podcast you can listen to on the Boss Madel website. There's actually a link in my bio on Instagram or Apple iTunes. And um, yeah, definitely check it out. Great. And all of those things will be linked in the show notes. Do check it out. Uh, Hani is a fabulous interviewer. And there are some really great people there who um, I'm sure that you'll enjoy listening to. The Thank last you. question that I want to ask you, and that's what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is, to you, Hani, in your personal life, in your business, in the way that you move through the world, what does it mean to you to make an impact? to be kind. And when I say kind, cause that word is thrown around so much. I think it's okay to be kind if that means even having a bit of discomfort. So for example, me sharing my story today. I mean, there's a little discomfort there. I'm talking about mistakes I made. I'm talking about, a, you know, a bit of feeling of a failure, 
But I really think that if someone can listen to my story and say, okay, I can't do A, B, and C, or, oh, I better get some women around me if I'm starting a business, or, you know, better listen to some podcast or hear more stories. If I can make some kind of change, to me, that's kindness. You know, I'm, I'm great at smiling. I can smile at anybody. That's not, that's not what comes hard to me. What would, would come more difficult is sharing my story or an experience or opening up. But I feel like that can really make a difference. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for coming on today, Hani. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. And I look forward to interviewing you. So this yes. is going to be really oh, fun. Yes, this is going to be fun. By the way, stay tuned uh, to yours yes. truly on the Boss Madel podcast. Thanks, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find links to all the places Hani mentioned in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the Boss Madel podcast. My interview with Hani goes live in a few weeks. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. While you're there, feel free to check out what's new in the world of size inclusive modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. It'll make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.